Welcome everybody once again to the Liberation Frequency Podcast, brought to you live from Quick Lake Manor Studio in South London. I'm your host, Dennis Jose Francois, and once again in the studio I have with me the Liberation Frequency editorial team, comprising of Dan Collicott, hey. Gavin O'Reilly, hello, and Bernice Watson. Kiora. This week we're going to be talking about the zombie apocalypse. It's coming soon, we're all expecting it, so you better be ready because we damn well are. However, before we get to that, let's take a look at what everybody's been doing since the last time you heard from us. Bernice, welcome back. This time we can truthfully ask you what you've been up to since the last time you were on. Okay, well, since I was here last, I have set myself the lofty goal of catching up on all the Star Trek novels across all the series. Uh, So I just started that last week. I've got 14 Star Trek novels already. Is that all there's ever been? No, no, that's just the start. How many have there actually been? Hundreds. Uh, I'm mostly reading the just the relaunch novels, uh, so the novels that are set after the various series ended, um, and also the spin-off novels, so New Frontier, Titan, those those kind of things. So the, these novels do they do they come out like across all the you know across all the different series? So do people still write Kirk and Spock novels? They do. And they write Next Generation novels, and they write Enterprise novels. DS9. So when J.J. Abrams did his film, which sort of skewed the continuum, what happens then with the novels? Have people started writing novels about... Actually, I was just talking to someone about this today, and as far as I know, but I haven't looked into it, nobody has started writing novels set in the J.J. Abrams timeline. So all of the novels that are out at the moment are in the prime timeline as it's called which basically is the old timeline that um next generation ds9 voyager etc were all set in which has now been rendered null and void has it been rendered null and void as we saw it on television i guess because with what happened in the jj abrams film events were changed so we can presume that's going to ripple forward and uh so so affect everything from kirk and spock onwards so not enterprise not enterprise no enterprise is the only series that remains unchanged interesting interesting is it, i mean is this the official paramount star trek word i mean who gets to decide these things uh no i think that's just sort of based on logic so enterprise came before the council of vulcans have decided it's based on logic <laughs> <laughs> no but enterprise came before the events in jj abrams film so presumably it stands and also archer was mentioned so we know that he obviously captained the first Enterprise. Oh, he right, okay, he was, he did get mentioned in the film. Okay. And his beagle. Fascinating. Gavin, what have you been up to? Well, I'm not long back from India. I was there for a family trip, uh, but despite that, I managed to squeeze in some comic book research, as I like to do when I'm travelling. Um, and I find that The Phantom is very popular, still. Um, the 30s Phantom, purple one. What I, the, the character from the 30s, but do you yep. mean what in what form? Comics, films? In comics. So they've got a lot of, from what I could see on the shelves, there was a lot of reprints of, of what, from what I could see, like the old, the old comics reprinted still seems to be very popular. Like, so from, I think they must be from the 50s maybe. Are they in English or? They are in English, the, the ones that I saw. 
there's a lot of um, holy book translations as well. Holy book? What's... Uh, like the, the the different faiths, so the Hindu holy books or whatever are translated into comics. Oh, so I've okay. picked up a few of them that I haven't read yet. Um, and I also uh, came across a guy in one of the hotels I was staying in that gave me a good crash course in all things Indian comics. And I have now a beer mat with lots of notes scribbled across it for me to do some research on. Oh. That's fun. Is that the only comics they read out there? Or can, you know, did you see Superman, um, Batman, Spider-Man? And I did see a bit of manga. Marvel and DC. Didn't see much manga. Did see a lot of Archie comics. Archie? Yeah. Oh. That that was like, there was as much Archie comics as there was everything else combined. That's interesting. I, you know, so, I, I don't know if I've ever seen an Archie comic on sale in the UK. I don't think I have either, actually. I mean, pro- it, it's probably that I've just not been looking in the right place. So I vaguely recall there may well have actually been a, a UK reprint of Archie. Who who publishes Archie? Do we even know? I'd need to look it up. We'll have to look not it up. Sure. Hmm. Not okay. sure. Still very popular in the US. Mm-hmm. As I understand it. Very long running, indeed. Well, it sounds like you had quite an interesting trip. Dan, what have you been up to? Well, just to show you all how seriously I take the subject of this podcast, I actually hold up in a basement somewhere in south-east London. I took with me uh, various zombie fiction novels, uh, including the Day by Day Armageddon series, which is written by J.L. Bourne. Um, I'm just halfway through the second in that trilogy. I think there's another book coming. Um, I've also watched Julia's Eyes and Priest, were films that whilst holed up in my bunker awaiting the zombie apocalypse I I watched. Have any of you managed to get out to cinema to see X-Men First Class? Yep. Yes. And what do we think? I liked it very much. It was exactly what I wanted out of the film. It was good. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was quite good, actually. I thought they did a really good job of maintaining continuity with the films. And obviously they can't maintain continuity with the comics because they broke that ages ago anyway. Mm-hmm. But still, it's quite good. Except that last night, turned on the TV, X-Men Last Stand was on. Uh, I watched that last night too. And the first thing I saw, well, I turned it on just at the point where Charles and Eric, or Magneto, walk up to Jean Grey's house. And of course, um, he has a bald head. And it's, you know, and of course, if you watch uh, X-Men First Class, that just doesn't work continuity-wise at all. They completely fluff that. Because um, they seem to go out of their way to not, to maintain continuity. But that, that Charles Xavier is, is an older Charles Xavier than... But he's walking. Uh-huh. Ah. If it hadn't been for that, then the continuity wouldn't be broken. Okay, that makes sense. Yes. Or doesn't make sense. Or doesn't dun, make dun, sense. Dun, dun. But Sabretooth in the Wolverine film doesn't make sense with the X-Men continuity either. Really. No. Unless doesn't. you say that his mind was wiped and they just don't realise that they're brothers. But didn't they say, um, an interview with James McAvoy, they, he said that right, it was right at the last minute that they decided to keep his hair. So he was prepared to shave his hair for that film. And I think someone in the studio, Bigwigs, said no keep his hair because it's sexier and well, they probably did a photoshop job of him bald and realized that wasn't a good idea probably right okay do you think they'll do more x-men prequel films or do you think they're gonna leave it at that i think they will they'll do more i think so yeah aren't they gonna do another wolverine film hope not there's talk of it. there was talk of it but didn't darren aronofsky just back out on directing it 
good. Um, I just thought that Wolverine Origins was just awful. <laughs> of it was one of the one of the worst films I saw in the cinema of that year. It was really poor. Um, they did have Emma Frost in the background of that one as well. Again, with her diamond powers, um, but it wasn't shown the same way. It was really crap in the Wolverine film. She had, like, she had studded diamante stuck on her. <laughs> <laughs> if she moved too quickly, it was going to fall off. Dan, you haven't seen it yet? No, I haven't. I saw Hangover 2, but I've missed out so far on First Class. Um, um, and what was the Hangover 2 like? Uh, a complete beat-for-beat beat rerun of the first film, but still very, very funny. Oh. So, even though points for originality, nil. But oh, it, really? Yeah. So, well, so, it's Mike Tyson in it? He is. Oh right, okay. Literally, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not kidding you. All they've done is given. Um, I won't spoil it, but they've given a couple of characters a little bit more weight. Um, but it is a straight rerun. But it is uh, the entire cinema I was in was laughing their asses off. So you know, from that point of view, it succeeds. What I've been up to recently, amongst other things, is I've been um, catching up with uh, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, the Avengers cartoon which um, is just brilliant. There's 20 episodes of it. Um, it's really good. As, as Saturday morning cartoons go, it's really, really, really enjoyable. Um, I, I, I have been really enjoying it, but it took me a while to get into, and I think because it's a bit of a slow burn and each character gets its own kind of episode at the start because they're setting everything up, I, I was a little bit bored at that point. But now they're into big time-spanning storylines and you can see where all the story arcs are going to go. It's pretty cool. This week's big comic news is that DC Comics have announced that they are going to completely reset the comic universe. As of September the 1st, all titles, all 52 titles in the DC Universe are going to go back to issue one and be completely restarted. But the big news really is the digital release. So they're calling it day and date or something like that. Yeah. Where So now DC... Will when they release a print comic, they will release it digitally at exactly the same time, which up until now no one's been doing, and they will charge the same price, which is a bit of a contentious point because that makes the digital comics quite expensive for the first month, I think. Yeah. And once the comic's been out for a month, the digital price will drop, which makes sense because if the digital comic was cheaper than the print comic, would you necessarily go and buy the print comic? Would you, Dan? My, well, I've tried reading comics digitally and I still prefer to buy them. You prefer to buy them or you prefer to read them in paper form? Uh, read them in paper form. Why? I don't know. It just feels more natural. feels more normal. I don't... I, I, maybe it's the reading software, the reader software. I mean, I don't have Kindle or anything like that. You don't have an iPad? No. Okay. But even so, you know, reading it on a PC or a Mac, I, I just, yeah, I, I think it's maybe if I did have an iPad, I'd be more likely to to buy them digitally. But as I don't, I don't really think, you know, you can't really do it on, on an iPhone. Denise? No, I think I'll always buy the, the hard copies. Um, right. I I like the experience. It's tactile. I you like... Look, you like your geek hard and tactile? Yeah, I do. Is okay. that a problem, no. boys? <laughs> no. no. Um, 
yeah, I just, I just, I just don't enjoy it as much on the screen, like you know. And I, I love having a bookshelf full of comics. I really do. I know mm. it's ridiculous, and they take up a whole lot of space. And Gavin, I prefer it in print form as well, but that's partly because I don't have the hardware or the software that would be best suited to it. But I think it's a bit strong to ask for the same cover price, even if just for a month, because I don't think an electronic file will ever have the value of a comic. Right. So why pay the same price for it? it, it, even it, it, it well, I mean, clearly the reason they're doing this is because otherwise the comic shops, I wouldn't say the comic shops have got a business, but they certainly get pretty upset. More mm. likely Diamond Distribution would probably get pretty upset mm. um, because they'd be completely sidestepping that. What I find interesting about your answer, Bernice, and yours, Gavin, of course, is that I'm tempted to say to Dan and to myself, well, is that just because we're old and fashioned? But you guys aren't old and old-fashioned. You're still in your mid-twenties. So... Mm. You know, I find it interesting that you also prefer to read, you know, to hold mm. the item. I mean, I think I think there is space for the digital form. Um, and if the industry is going to move forward and if you want to get younger people, which is what it's struggling to get, then yes, it needs to go digital. But I don't think the same price as a print comic is the correct thing to do. I think dropping it after a month is sensible because printed comics drop in value after dependent on it, on what the actual comic is well i think we might have found a topic for our next podcast um because there's obviously a lot to talk about here um but we're all agreed are we all agreed at least or disagreed that <laughs> dc bringing comics and out digitally and at the same time as their print is a good thing or a bad thing i think they should spend more time thinking about how to make comics and graphic novels more affordable because i still think they're way too expensive okay good or bad thing uh, a good thing that a move is being made forward, even if it's not the lasting strategy. Okay. Louise? I have to say I'm fairly indifferent. Okay. I think I'm fairly indifferent as well, actually, at the moment. I think I agree with you. I think it is a move forward. But I agree with Dan that they need to sort the price out. So just before we get on to our main topic, I um, wanted to uh, just mention... <laughs> um, did anybody hear the um the uh, 991 drunken outburst call by um one mr nicholas cage no i did not i have oh, okay. not he's been he's been in news a bit recently um but <laughs> absolutely genius um but whilst we don't have any real news about mr nicholas cage what i'd like to get all our readers to do is when you finish listening to our podcast i want you to go to youtube and search for Nicholas Cage losing his shit. <laughs> and that's my Nick, Nick Cage contribution to the podcast this week. That'll keep you thoroughly entertained for a good two or three minutes if you haven't already seen it. So, um, and I think with that, probably time for some big ups. This week, I would like to big up all the folks, our um, liberated irregulars, I'm going to call them from now on. Um, who have contributed to this week's podcast and previous ones, but specifically um, on the subject of the zombie apocalypse. Ben Casey, Les Davis, Franz Joseph Richards, Giuseppe De Chiara, Richard Costin, David Cook, Nicola Brown, Matthew Cooling, and Mervyn Charles, who all provided us with a lot of deep insight into what they would do during the zombie apocalypse. Thank you very much, guys and girls. And um, some of those... Uh, Contributions will be coming up later on. Big up yourselves! Aye! So guys, we all know it's coming. The zombie apocalypse. It's inevitable. 
It is. It's only a matter of time. It's a foregone conclusion. It is a foregone conclusion. In fact, this is how I would like to start our little discussion because what I've noticed is that if you speak to people about on the subject of the zombie apocalypse, they all seem to be very prepared to consider it very, very seriously, which led me to think if you were to go out and ask people in a survey what's more likely, aliens landing on Earth or a zombie apocalypse, I'm pretty sure people would say a zombie apocalypse. I think we should actually do that. I think we should. Why do you think that is? Why does that seem to be a more viable end of days? Well, I guess from coming from a reality perspective, there has been historically so many diseases that have almost wiped out large quantities of humanity in the past, in the Dark Ages, that we know for sure that if any of these strains... Well, for instance, topically on the news, the E. coli. There's a new strain of E. coli, which is currently, as we know, starting to rampage across Europe. Now, the interesting thing is the the news, as it's been coming out, about this E. coli strain, and it started overseas. It's, I, think, I believe it started in Germany, is that correct? Yes. yes. Yeah. And now there's cases over here. Do you not think that in every zombie apocalypse film you've seen, that is exactly how a viral outbreak starts? You hear, you hear a kind of a modest outbreak overseas, and then you hear of it, and then they, you know, scientists proclaim that the strain is one they've never seen before. Well, this actually applies to what's happening with this new strain of E. coli. You've got to admit, it would be somewhat ironic if the end of mankind came about because somebody just ate a bad salad. (laughs) (laughs) Because it does appear to be cucumber, lettuce, tomatoes that are responsible for this outbreak. Basically. I mean, it doesn't have the flash and the panaz of a... It's not like mad cow disease or or swine flu. Cucumbers and tomatoes and this generally seem fairly innocent. Yes. But not this time. But the point being that, okay, that's unlikely to spark a zombie apocalypse. But I think, you know, they've been harping on about bird flu mutating and spreading and and various other different uh, strains of virus that I think we're all prepared to accept that maybe maybe not one that causes us to all reanimate and start eating each other and passing on the infection through bite or even the the one where you know every time someone dies they come back to life and then go on a canna, cannibal inspired rampage Denise? well i was kind of like what you're saying i think people think about the zombie apocalypse possibly because it stands in for in a, a more interesting way in just any old civil emergency. I know that my partner and I, when we were living back in New Zealand, we had a zombie apocalypse survival kit, and in it were water, a first aid kit, ordinary things. Hmm. You know, and I have to say, having been in Christchurch for the earthquake in February, and actually for the first time in my life had to use a civil emergency kit, you know, it, it is important to have one, but it's more fun to think of it as a zombie survival kit than it is to think of it as a earthquake or whatever. Hmm. I mean, uh, Gavin, do you think that what Dan, from what Dan's saying, do you think it might just be stitched into our very fabric, our very fibre, that over the 
for decades and centuries, mankind has been plagued, um, whether biblical or not, by so many, you know, we've had bubonic plague, we've had cholera, we've had typhoid, we've had potato famine, we've had, um, that's not necessarily a plague, that's <laughs> <laughs> a <laughs> famine. It's <laughs> a different sort of thing, though. Okay. It's kind um, of biblical, but not, not quite um, the same. You know, Foot and, mouth. and then, well, what I'm leading to is, like, in the 80s, the, the the plague that was going to wipe out mankind was was going to be AIDS, wasn't it? You mm. know, everyone was like, "Oh God, running scared and whatever." And it seems like we're hardwired to be a fearful of something. Then we've got bird flu, swine flu, you know, mad cow disease, etc. So is that the reason why everybody's happy to believe that there's going to be a zombie apocalypse? Because you know, we're just sort of pre-wired to accept some kind of plague. Uh, I think there's probably an element of that. I hadn't really thought about it in those terms before. But um, I think, I mean, partly why, why people are, are so willing to answer it is because like zombie films and, and TV shows and books and things seem to have never been more popular than they are right now. They so, are very, very popular. You know, they're very, very popular right, right now. Why? Okay, well... I think the first movie, well, I think there's two movies that actually brought um, zombie fiction into the mainstream. Obviously, there's hundreds of movies that established zombie, the zombie genre, but I think the two that actually brought them into the mainstream were the remake of Dawn of the Dead, which was Zack Snyder, and 28 Days Later. Oh, so when you say brought them into the mainstream, you mean brought them into the mainstream recently? Yes, actually, because I think before that, you know, the time-honored tradition of zombie films and zombie fiction is B-movies. It's kind of an underculture. It's um, a cult thing. As soon as, you know, I think the Zack Schneider Dawn of the Dead remake, as far as I know, I could be wrong on this, was the first big-budget zombie film with all the bells and whistles that actually came to the cinema and had a... I had a fairly popular reception, and also 28 Days Later was another. Uh, I Am Legend also, maybe? Yeah, that that was a little bit after, but that's, yeah, that's definitely another example. Probably. Yeah. So, I Am Legend. I Am Legend is vampires? No. Well, is it vampires or is it zombies? It's vampires. Is it? Yes. Mm. We're talking about the Will Smith from the mm. Richard Madison you See, now, I, w- I would contest that. I know in the... Uh, you you know you can look at them as being vampires, yes, but okay because they don't come out during the day. And they, right? but otherwise, yeah, they eat you. I know. I think they have to have blood because in I Am Legend, in the in the book at least, the civilized vampires. Because in the book, there's the the sort of the savage ones, and then there's the civilized ones, and they take a blood pill, and it right. represses the craziness. And they've actually got a whole new society, and they're kind of an evolution of. That's humanity. fine. I'll just edit you out for making me look stupid, Dan. <laughs> well, no, I, I'm just going to say you're, you're, you're both you're both actually right because I think in in the book, um, Benice is spot on. They are vampires, whereas in the film, it's not really as clear. It's not really as clear, is it? No, because it is based on you know it's that viral thing, mm. really. Um, everybody though has a first zombie film, surely, or the first zombie experience. It's called the first zombie film. What, what was your the first time you remember coming across zombies? For me, it was the one that leaves its mark is Return of the Living Dead. Okay, the wonder film from the eighties. Uh, 
said they run at high speed. It's the first time I ever saw high speed zombies, and it was in that 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 era of eighties horror films where you had films like Fright Night, House, Return of the Living Dead, Evil Dead Two, etc., where they were deliberately funny horror films, but they were quite a gore fest. And yeah, they would definitely be movies, and um, they're teen B movies, and the kind of things that you know films like Scream mock mercilessly. And that was the first time, you know, in that film when the zombies climb out of the grave and they do the brains, more brains, but they run at full on speed. Mm. And that was the, that's, that's for me the first member, I must have been about 14, 15, first memorable zombie film I saw. Um, I think mine was Brain Dead. I think that was the first one. I did see, I do remember seeing um, not the original Night of the Living Dead, I think it was the second version that was in colour but I think Brain Dead was the first um, kind of horror zombie film that, that kind of stuck with me Louise? Mine funnily enough would have been Brain Dead also because my mum's best friend produced it Oh, oh fantastic well, Good job so, I remember that, I think I fell asleep halfway through though I, was been, I would have been <laughs> nine Oh, wow. Didn't have an 18th certificate or just don't care about those things? Oh, I watched it at home. Oh. Just uh, on video, VHS. <laughs> Gavin? Unfortunately, I can't pinpoint an exact film, but I do remember being about, I think, maybe 11 or 12, and it was either Channel 4 or BBC 2 had a zombie season. So for about a month, they just showed back-to-back zombie films. Wow. Um, like, not every day. It might have been every Thursday or something like that. Um, I remember watching a lot and enjoying it and being like, oh, this is gross, but kind of good. Well, if we look at Dawn of the Dead and 28 Days Later, already you're looking at two separate types of zombie, are you not? Yes. What are the different types of zombie? Let's talk about different types of zombie. Well, uh, behaviour, I think the the most obvious is there's what I think you call the rage zombie, Mm -hmm. which in varying extremes seems to have... Um, well, obviously, they run fast. Um, in some instances, they seem to have slightly enhanced superhuman abilities, as in they can jump very high, they can run very fast, and can literally tear you limb for limb within seconds. And then you have your much more slow, decaying, shambling zombie, which has very limited motor function, and is basically a walking corpse. Now, there's two arguments that have raged about this, no pun intended, um, is that zombies that have only just turned um, have more ability to run and destroy their prey, whereas zombies that have been around, that, that turned months or maybe years ago, Therefore, because they've continued to, their bodies have continued to rot and decay, and the ones that obviously come up from the soil that were dead already, obviously, therefore, can't run and have the same ability of the traditional rage zombie. Which nicely brings us to the subject of the other two ways you can classify zombies, and one is the rage zombie infected by a virus, and then there is the more classic zombie, which probably goes back pre Romero to just the raised dead Mm. you know because classically 
a body raised out of the grave, which isn't a vampire, it's just a cadaver, um, is a zombie. Quite a different thing. Um, a lot of people associated it with um, voodoo, um, I'd say in the last century or late 1800s, it would be associated to voodoo. But I think under the voodoo definition, it's not necessarily the dead. It's anybody that is being controlled right. by magic or voodoo magic. Um, another thing uh, related to why people called them zombies, obviously this is probably post the whole voodoo um, translation of that, was to do with comas. Um, I think in the kind of you know dark dark ages, a lot of people didn't know what a coma was, and people got buried alive uh, in a comatose state. And obviously, then when they did come out of their coma and try and get out of their coffins or wherever they lay that got branded as something more supernatural than it in fact was. I believe there was a documentary where a guy went to Haiti and there is a trade in zombies where the locals show a Westerner a zombie and this was debunked as the kind of local tribesman kidnapping uh, an innocent man or woman, burying them alive for something like a week or two weeks until they've gone stir-crazy and out of their mind, and then digging them up and showing them, for, for obviously an agreed price, to uh, Westerners who are curious and want to see a real zombie, and it is in fact someone that they've tortured. Um, so that's fairly horrible. It's pretty grim. Speaking of people being buried alive, there's uh, I don't know if this is true, but apparently CSI New York believes it, the expression so oh, it must definitely true. It must be true. The expression saved by the bell comes from uh, the Black Plague time when they used to bury people not knowing whether they were really dead or not. Uh, if you woke up in the coffin, you'd have a bell, a little string tied around your big toe leading to a bell, and you would thrash about and the bell would ring and the night guard would come and dig you up. There was a BBC documentary titled Supernatural Science Buried Alive. And I believe they actually looked for a hallucinogenic that was that occurred naturally in a plant that was thought to be able to induce uh, a zombific, a zombific state. Zombie-like. Zombie-like. Good, doesn't it? Zombosis. <laughs> it does sound good, doesn't it? Um, but I also believe that um, deep brain zombosis. Yeah, nice. Um, but I also believe that. Um, there's been a number of uh, investigations and books where they've said that there's uh, two powders um, derived from, what was it, a fish? One's from a fish, a putterfish. A putterfish, and the other... was It was just a hallucinogen in general. It's a, general, a combination of hallucinogens, which the two combined would allow a bokur, which is a Haitian sorcerer... To control a them. A voodoo man, a juju man, to control somebody... So, so basically, to summarise what we're saying, that there are um, obviously natural toxins that occur in nature that can induce a state that we would associate with that being is, a zombie. That is fascinating, actually. Uh, and actually, recently in the news, there's been a couple of articles about a fungus that scientists have found uh, in the Amazon rainforest, I believe, which takes control of ants, and the scientists have dubbed, dubbed them uh, zombie ants because the fungus takes over their bodies, the ants are driven to climb further up the canopy, clamp themselves around a leaf, and then die. And then the f 
fungus grows out of the ant's head and takes over the leaf. So that's interesting. So, so actually, we've we've nearly kind of got four types of zombie now. We've got the um, lab experiment gone wrong, rage zombie, a la Twenty Eight Days Later, or Walking Dead. Yep. We've got the actual necromantically, magically raised cadaver um, that you would see in sci-fi and fantasy, I think. Right? I think a lot of the early B-movies, like the kind of right. 1930s Sorcerer, films, like, you know, were kind of, of on that. the floor, raised the dead. And then we've got the Juju Man, Sorcerer, chemically perhaps induced, or maybe magically induced, mind control of a living person. Yeah. Yeah. And the zombie ant. And zombie ants. Yeah. That's four times. How long before this fungus has us climbing the trees? Well, that's... that. that that's, camping our mandibles yeah. around leaves. And having um, fungus growing out of our which, heads. Which yeah. leads me to the question as to where would a zombie apocalypse outbreak, where is that most likely to, to take place? Now, up until now, up until this very conversation, I have believed that it would start in a European lab somewhere. European lab? Why European? Yeah, because... There, that's where there is are the least levels of control. I'm talking Eastern Europe here. Oh, okay. So I'll be specific. Right, okay. An Eastern European lab somewhere where, you know, former Soviet Union, slightly dodgy, you know, kind of thing going on. Continue, continuing the work of Joseph Mengler from the... Exa- uh, exactly, something like that. However, <laughs> until this very conversation, I realise it is most likely to happen in South America or the Caribbean. Zombie ants. Yeah. Or monkeys. Or you you reckon that somewhere along the food chain it would um, come at us? Well, as interesting you mentioned monkeys. Has anybody seen the trailers for Rise of the Planet of the Apes? I yes. have, and it looks pretty awesome. I think it does. And there's a situation where you have something developed in a lab. For know, one purpose. For one purpose, and it gets out of control, and it brings about the end of mankind as we know it. <laughs> which isn't quite zombies, but it is an apocalypse of a sort. But it's interesting just to cover off how you become infected because obviously we've pretty much covered, uh, you know, if you transmitted through body fluids uh, and that seems to usually be the kind of virus that occurred in a lab. But there's one that I think possibly the most popular one in film is the fact that you die. You don't necessarily have to have died of any cause, but... Instantly, the moment you die, you come back to life and start hunkering down on uh, your fellow humans, which is one I've never really understood because, you know, we, we've existed all these hundreds, thousands of years on the earth and then suddenly there comes a point where everyone who dies comes back to life. Just wondered if anyone had any thoughts on that. Um, I find it interesting that in, from what you say comes back to life, I mean, what are the differences between zombies and vampires? Because the vampires are also, you die and you come back to life, right? Zombies, you die and you come back to life, in that zombie thing. Mm. But zombies, you immediately come back to life hungry for brains and flesh. Vampires, you come back hungry for blood. Which I think, that's, that's the only thought I have there, that just sort of like, is that the difference between a zombie and a vampire? I guess, traditionally, but of course not across all vampire stories but traditionally vampires sort of retain their higher brain functions right but again not always i mean uh i am legend in the book the the non-civilized 
vampires certainly don't seem to have any higher brain functions. I think um, one of the things that Romero started to examine in the more recent um, films that he did was the fact, um, especially, um, I forget what the last one, Land, I think it's called Land of the Dead, uh, I'll check that, um, was that we actually, well, the, the zombies started to learn again. So it's almost like becoming infected uh, knocks you down to a primal form, but over time... The zombies in those in in recent films, in quite a few different films, actually start learning again and start, um, yeah, suddenly becoming. I wouldn't say more human, but they actually start picking up attributes which you would wouldn't kind of associate with being a zombie. The ability to learn and regain some of the kind of motor functions and even logic that they would lose when they first became affected, infected, and rose again. One last thing I'd like to cover before we move on to part two of our discussion is who can or cannot become a zombie? Is there any um, precedent for zombie animals? I think the only example I can actually think of off the top of my head of zombie animals is Resident Evil. Ah. They, they seem to have dogs and birds, whereas I think most other films, they don't go there. Um. Yeah, you, you tend to get that birds, birds traditionally in zombie fiction and films, will actually live off the the the, the undead, actually start picking away at their flesh and eating them. But it's rare to actually see the infection go amongst the various different animals and then it become another kind of source of peril. Whereas obviously Resident Evil, um, probably something that actually started in the games before the films and other things in the franchise was that the dogs um yeah basically get the whatever the form of rage t virus they get and then it was i think it was resident evil extinction uh where you have the basically the hitchcockian bird style attacks right. where basically all the birds have got the t virus and hmm. Start attacking the survivors. Now, when you say Resident Evil, are you talking about the film or the game? Uh, well, both. both. I, I think that the dog started in the game, um, but obviously that then translated into the film. So the fact that we, okay, so we, so it started in the game, which brings me kind of full circle to where we were at the beginning. So zombies have managed to pervade films, TV series. We've got The Walking Dead, mm-hmm. games, Resident Evil, and Left for Dead. Um, and also comics. Marvel have got their Marvel Zombie series. There was we did a feature on good. Pride and Prejudice Zombies. Pride yeah, Prejudice Pride and Prejudice zombies. with zombies. Zombies. Yeah. zombies. Again, the um, there's audio drama. Uh, you've got that eye zombie thing there. So given that zombies are just shambling, moaning, unintelligent, kind of dull in in the whole world of the supernatural, in the whole world of the undead, they're not like it's not like a wraith or a ghoul, which is a scary thing in that regard it's not like a vampire who's a highly intelligent being and has got all these crazy powers and can turn into a gaseous form and into a flock of bats or what have you but more importantly can engage you with a soliloquy of uh, you know exquisite words before he chows down on you what 
is and they're it, also quite sexual. Exactly. What what is it about zombies that makes them so entertaining? Is it just a fad? Is it just a phase we're in at the moment? They're inexorable. You can run and you will get away, but eventually you have to sleep and they will catch you. And that's what's terrifying about zombies. It might be partly what you were trying to get up before about it, um, our innate fear or uh, understanding that viruses can break out. So it's, it's partly a viral thing. So it is kind of triggered in our mind that somehow it's in the realms of possibility, maybe more than vampires are. Right. And it is probably just that they are relentless um, and how do you combat that? Because even if you get away, how long do you get away for? How do you live a life? You, it's about survival. Yeah. So, I mean, on, it is... On the whole world, like, global scale. Again, there was another documentary on the BBC which was talking about the super city, uh, where there are now the largest populations on Earth are all based in cities, whereas apparently used to be larger populations in the countryside mm-hmm. still. So with the rise of the super city, you know that in very close quarters, if this did happen, within you know, within hours of any kind of outbreak, you're going to be surrounded. And mm. I think it's that, as you said, they aren't very interesting, it's, but it's the sheer weight of numbers. It's the sheer... So is it what is it... So it's, they're not very interesting, but how you react is very interesting, I think, really. How we mm. put ourselves... In you know, in context of being in a super city surrounded by people who have become zombified, yeah, how we deal with that. I mean, yes, maybe you're right, Gavin, that we can attach a little bit more truth or reality to the idea of zombies than we can say to vampires. Vampires are a little bit silly, after mm. all, you know. Um, I think as well, and um, when you think about zombies, you you do think you would actually have a chance of surviving and this is how I would do it. If there was vampires and they declared war on humans, I wouldn't fancy our chances. Uh, (laughs) I, 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 I wouldn't either. And on that note, that is what we're going to talk about in part two, where we are going to have a look at how you can survive the forthcoming zombie apocalypse. We'll also be doing our dead giveaway with a fabulous zombie prize and we'll be taking a look at what's on the site this week. We'll see you shortly.